by NordVPN, The Take's favorite way to stay safe online. Go to nordvpn.com slash the take to start protecting yourself. The man, the legend, Logan Roy. Succession is at its core a portrait of power in the figure of media mogul and patriarch Logan Roy. All rise for Pope Big Dick. In the climax of the season three finale, Logan once again thwarts his kids' attempts to dethrone and replace him. And the episode leaves us with some key takeaways about the nature of power. For example, that so much of it stems from others believing you have it. And that it's not just about winning the stated game, but making up the rules that define winning. After seasons of declaring he would never cede control of Waystar Royco, suddenly he's selling it off under the kids' noses. What are you going to do with the five bill? Huh? Put it on your pile with all your other bill? This is an opportunity, son. Adversity. Like me. So as Tom Lee tweeted, winning is just whatever Logan decides it is. That's how it works for rich sickos in real life. Here's our take on what these season three plays prove to us about power in the modern world. Why it was son-in-law Tom who tipped Logan off to his kids trying to team up against him, and why Logan always wins. Dad, why? I win. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe and click the bell to get notified about all our new videos. Logan Roy seduces and fascinates both audiences and other characters because he's a larger-than-life human being. Lunch! Sure, he's a beast. You're a f***ing beast. A cruel narcissist who's destroying his society and planet. Who may well be more personally responsible for the death of this planet than any other single human being. But he's also a legend, a great man in an era when we're told the human factor matters less and less compared to the bottom line. We're persuading more and more shareholders every day that we offer them just a slightly better chance for them to make a little bit more money on their dollar, and that's all that this is. All Logan really believes in is himself and his own instincts. Because I feel it in my bones. Oh, wow, no arguing with that, huh? End of the day, that's all I God. His practice of self-mythologizing, something that real-life business moguls also excel at, constantly pays dividends in the world as his myth of personal greatness creates a reality where everyone defers to him as a god on Earth. He's not a man, he's a planet. So one of the key lessons Logan illustrates time and time again is that the perception of power is everything. In the season three finale, we see how Logan's reputation as a winner helps him win again, after his kids try to stop him from selling to Gojo and taking away their future control. A change of control needs a supermajority in the holding company. Mom got us that the divorce. We need us on board. Logan gets ahead of this attack by renegotiating the supermajority terms as part of the reopened divorce settlement with Kendall's, Shiv's, and Roman's mom, Caroline. I have you beat, you morons. And he's that step ahead due to Tom telling Logan about the kids' plans. She just told him. So why does Tom betray Shiv? One key answer lies in this dialogue he speaks to Kendall in episode six after being offered a different betrayal plan. My hunch is that you're going to get because I've seen you get a lot and I've never seen Logan get once. 
Tom has observed enough to know that Logan always wins, so that's why he helps Logan win in order to personally benefit from the outcome. This leads us to a second way that Logan constantly ensures victory. He thinks about what each individual wants and plays to their self-interest. Caroline's new fiancé slash husband, Peter, is obsessed with Logan's status and wealth. Peter, I think you better face it that Logan is not going to make it. You might have to just make do with me, sorry. Which gives Logan an advantage in manipulating Caroline. And what Peter wants is simple, a fancy flat in London. I'm actually having to open up the divorce agreement with your father because Peter loves the Eaton Square flat. Has he not got one of his own? To someone like Shiv, this sounds petty and inconsequential in light of the huge interests at play here, but to Logan, it's a gift, a piece for him to play with in this game. This understanding of how to manipulate others based on their interests is something the kids lack. When Tom asks Shiv where he ends up in the new picture, she replies vaguely without reassuring him. But where do I fit in? Well, high up, Tom. I don't know. It, we'll figure it out, though. There's a lot going on. And Tom understands from this that where he ends up isn't a priority in Shiv's coalition, whereas it can be a priority if he takes his valuable knowledge to Logan. After the kids realize they've lost, Roman makes a last-ditch appeal to his dad to reconsider due to love. What have you got in your hand? I don't know. Love? But Logan points out that this appeal comes only after the children's leverage for their own self-interest has evaporated. You bust him here, guns in hand, and now you find they've turned to sausages. You talk about love? This game of power isn't a game where love has meaning, only one where many overlapping self-interests converge and the superior player channels those myriad motivations into serving his agenda. At the end of the episode, when Roman appeals to Jerry to help him based on their interpersonal relationship, she responds like a suit to the bone. But it doesn't serve my interests. How does it serve my interests? And the episode's conclusion reminds us that Logan, who will always play as dirty as he needs to for a win, ultimately excels by putting his self-interest above everyone's. You are what you do, Logan. You know that? In the end, you're just what you do. Don't worry, you'll get your nut. A third important tenet of Logan's philosophy, which he voices in season three, and which his kids again fail to grasp, is that the reality is always changing. There's a line. Nothing is a line. Everything everywhere is always moving, forever. The kids all feel cheated because at various points, their dad promised each of them the top job and then took it away. Do you have any idea how it feels to be you know, promise something and then just have it taken. Yeah. But Logan's point is that this thinking reveals their amateurish child's play mindset because power isn't something that's fixed, owed, or even really given. Winning the game is about seeing how the game is ever morphing and catching on to its new shape faster than everyone else. This race to figure out what the game is is present from the show's first episode when Logan takes the family to play a baseball game, while the real competitive play is the negotiations around the trust agreement happening on the sidelines. Almost all of the show's family gatherings double as pretenses for business deals, but the point is most people never even sense where the game is happening, or even if they get that, still fail to correctly identify which game is actually taking place. Wait, what's going on? Dude, are you pitching? Did you just pitch? The adults are talking. How about you go play in the other room? 
Dad's got him holding the plastic steering wheel in the back and telling him he's driving. Logan is an expert at protecting his status at the top of the company, much like you can protect your data using NordVPN, the best VPN in the game. Click the link in our description below, nordvpn.com slash the take, to get a huge discount on a two-year plan of NordVPN, plus one additional month free. Instead of fending off potential successors trying to overtake your business, you're probably dealing with daily cybersecurity threats, even ones you don't know about. NordVPN is the key to keeping your online activity protected and private. All of your internet data stays safe behind a wall of next-generation encryption, and their strict no-logs policy means they don't track, collect, or share your private data, because they know it's none of their business. NordVPN also masks your IP address so you can keep your browsing to yourself, and no one can track what you do online. Another huge plus? You can use NordVPN to connect to foreign servers to watch holiday content from around the world. Click the link in our description below, nordvpn.com slash the take, to get a fantastic deal on NordVPN now. Plus, that free bonus month, it's risk-free with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. As we've seen, a major motivation for Tom's betrayal is pure strategy. He may present a pleasant, non-threatening air, but he's clearly very good at this whole game. None of the born Roy children could have risen to these heights through sheer guile. You've played your hand well, and you're sitting at the top table. Wow, shucks. Thank you. I fell in love with your sister, that's what happened. Sure. But another motivation for Tom's betrayal is unfulfilled emotional needs. Shiv's shocked, angry face in the final shot of the finale as she realizes her husband's betrayal underlines just how poorly she played her hand with Tom. While Shiv is smart, she underestimates others' intelligence and doesn't put enough thought into dealing with their motives strategically. Shiv thinks she's smarter than she is. Tom asks her constantly about what her every move means for him, yet she blatantly ignores his self-interest, even when it's pretty obvious that Tom is power-hungry and, despite his supportive act, like most of the other men in this world, won't be satisfied being the beta to a powerful wife. Shiv's entitlement and thoughtlessness are apparent in how she takes it for granted that Tom will be loyal, however much she shows and explicitly tells him she doesn't love or respect him. Sometimes I think, should I maybe listen to the things you say directly in my face? And we can see how Shiv's bullying transforms Tom over the seasons. When he finds out about the Cruises scandal, his instinct is basically to be an okay person. And I'd like to, you know, not, obviously not carry the can, but maybe do the right thing. But what I'm thinking is a press conference. He talks to Shiv about it, who acts like she's barely paying attention. Well, that sounds brave. Yes. Right. Is that good? Uh, uh... I'm sorry, can we circle back? But then sends a suit, Jerry, to talk him out of his conscience. This is the time to get your conscience out and shout, hey, look at me, I cannot tell a lie, I'm a good little boy, look at my ding-dong. At this point, disillusioned Tom processes that his relationship with Shiv is clearly a distant second to her relationship to the family company. From that point on, Shiv continues to communicate that she doesn't see him as her equal, including saying this to his face. No, I'm yeah. way out of your leap. that's why Maybe. you love me even though I don't love you. Like everyone, Tom needs love. You can't just take my love and bank it and then take a view of the love market and see if you want to invest in me. I do too. Thank you. It's good to know we, we don't have an unbalanced love portfolio. And a relationship where he can reveal his full, dark and weird self. And over time, that need is fulfilled, not with Shiv, but with Greg. 
In a key speech, Tom tells Greg the story of Roman Emperor Nero, who's rumored to have killed his pregnant wife before marrying his slave, Sporus. And uh, then he had Sporus castrated, and he married him instead. And he made him dress up like his dead wife. Wow. Plot twist. We've long seen Tom develop a relationship with Greg that is mentor-like but abusive, based on an unequal power dynamic in addition to something like love. I'd castrate you and marry you in a heartbeat. In the finale, Tom asks if Greg will come with him in the betrayal. Do you want to come with me? Sporus? The season is also full of talk of Shiv getting pregnant, like Nero's wife. And while the couple only agrees to freeze embryos, we do see Shiv toasting with water at the wedding and clutching her stomach at one point. And in a figurative sense, in the climax, Tom kills his spouse. The visual of Logan greeting Tom at the end echoes the visual of Tom and Greg, too, suggesting that this form of relationship, based on an older man's total power over a loyal younger one, is more central and sacred to these men than any familial or marital bond. It's important to keep in mind how Tom's outsider status and insecurity as someone who's married into this world shapes all of his behavior. While the Roy children are pretty desensitized to their material comforts and also can't really imagine life without them, Tom is incredibly attached to being super rich, in part because he remembers what it's like on the other side. It's like being a superhero, only better. You get to do what you want, the authorities can't really touch you, you get to wear a costume. In preparing for prison with his prison consultant, he specifically focuses on if he can handle doing without the extreme comforts he's become accustomed to. On an empty stomach, you know that very cold glass of wine, I love that. But the truth is I'm not gonna get wine of any temperature in prison. As this world drastically transforms Greg, too. That, that's how I'm trying to sue Greenpeace. We sense we could be seeing a window into an earlier Tom. Now, are you asking if you can blackmail me? Who, as the crafty self-made man, is perhaps even something of an earlier Logan. Funnily enough, this season's poster actually told us in plain sight how the teams would split with a literal line between them. In-law Tom and minor blood relation Greg have to prove their merit through a rise that's not guaranteed. They have to learn to make themselves useful to people. You're smart, you're ambitious, you're loyal. Why would I let you go? Come on. Logan's new money identity in the vein of a Rupert Murdoch or Sumner Redstone is similarly key to understanding his behavior. What, you want a bit about uh, Rosebud? Rosebud. It's a dollar bill. It's whatever it took to get me in the... Out of here. What Logan resents about his children most of all is that they were born rich thanks to him. I was born lucky. You're so f***ing jealous of what you've given your own kids. And something that Logan and Tom and probably a lot of the audience can bond over is noticing how the Roy children tend to act like spoiled entitled assholes who don't know the first thing about running a corporate empire. You're playing toy soldiers! With the exception of Roman under Jerry's mentorship, the kids also don't tend to get smarter because they don't listen to others. Kendall can't even let any of his highly paid team finish a sentence. Sure, you go. Okay. But I think so, the headline needs to be, F the weather, we're changing the cultural climate. But you go. The Roy kids verbally spill out everything they're thinking without a filter, while it's telling that Logan, like many powerful people, speaks very selectively and draws others out. If you don't think I'm ready. Okay, which, um, um, I would understand. Succession captures just how deeply charismatic power is. It sucks the people around Logan into his orbit, no matter how much they resist. 
As viewers, there are a number of reasons why we're likely fascinated by Logan. First, like other charismatic anti-heroes or villains, he's really good at what he does, even if what he's doing is blackmailing, bullying, or lying. It's kind of a, a superpower, isn't it? If you can lie to someone like that. I mean, I know you're lying, but I still find you very plausible and appealing. He's also a fighter. You think there's a chance you'll just do a deal? Have you met my dad? Nope. He'll never retreat. Who reflects something fundamental about Americanness and the capitalist hustle. I don't like being outside the U.S. for too long. Doesn't sit well. And there's a mercilessness I miss. Everywhere else feels so soft. And he has insight into the reality of things that's so profound it might catch us off guard. Refined? Ah, slaves, cotton, sugar. This country is nothing but an offshore laundry for turning evil into hard currency. Now it just lies here, you know, living off its capital. As he repeatedly says, it's this honest understanding of the world that is crucial to his business success. I didn't make human nature, but I do know what they read and what they watch. I make my nut off what people really want. I go flat broken a week if I didn't. When Logan says, You look at my old pictures and they all want you to think it's all so simple, but it wasn't what they say, you know? There's something that resonates. Any so-called expert can make up an explanation in hindsight, but it's an exceedingly rare person like Logan Roy who actually rises up from nothing. And there's ultimately something mysterious about that stratospheric level of success. You make your own reality. And once you've done it, apparently, everyone's of the opinion it was all so obvious. Still, despite all these things that make us want to keep watching Logan in a fiction, the show makes it clear that he's a terrible person. In his cancerous impact on human society and the planet. In terms of the lives that will be lost by his whoring for the climate change deniers, there's a very persuasive argument to be made that he's worse than Hitler. In his abusive treatment of his family and in his total lack of moral compunction, including not caring even slightly about Shiv's ethical concerns with supporting a fascist presidential candidate in season three. I can't see the bottom of the pool. And I, I don't know if you care about anything. And that scares me. The failures that Kendall criticizes about him as a businessman are true too. You don't have a business strategy, Dad. Your whole business model is. Uh is based on seducing presidents. You're a really high-class hooker. He took out a huge loan, puts off retiring even when his health is failing, and stays out of jail by coercing the president with a news network that spreads bigotry. These are the behaviors of a narcissist who thinks he's a god on earth and who's raised his children to ape his own image, but then kind of hates them for any imperfections they reflect back at him. As Dr. Tammy Nelson told The Cut, shame is the flip side of narcissism, and the show is about this incredible narcissism of the father and how he has created these narcissistic extensions of himself. It creates kids that are these little balls of shame. Within each of the children, we can see those two distinct people, the little narcissist and the little ball of shame, fighting with each other. Over the course of the show, we see the kids in moments feeding the realer, feeling sides of themselves. In the season three finale, they actually share their deepest vulnerabilities. I killed a kid. Briefly, it feels like this therapeutic, loving, light side approach is making them a powerful, unified team against their father's dark side. I tried to get it. I dived a few times. This sounds like the story of a hero to me. I would have been straight out of there. Who's the real victim here? I waited three quarters of an hour for a gin and tonic. 
But unfortunately, the cruel, everyone-for-themselves side is what actually helps them succeed in their father's game. And whereas a healthy parent would admire his children's growth or solidarity, in Logan's eyes, they've just made a grave error by not choosing Logan. You should have trusted me. Logan's always doing a dance with his kids, shifting which one is in favor. As soon as he chooses one and they get too full of themselves, he tends to pull back, or they make a relatively small mistake that turns him against them. Yes, the kids are disappointing, but narcissistic Logan is judging them against his gargantuan self-legend. And it's really his own flaws and fallibility that he objects to seeing when he looks too closely at his children. Don't let it pass too much, huh? There's so much of it. But the future is real, but pass. It's all made up. In the finale, we hear the kids speculate that despite his advanced age, he's trying to produce yet another child. This suggests that he may have more moves up his sleeve than we've seen, but also that he's still chasing that dream of the perfect succession. Immortality through an heir who will at last truly be worthy, which, given Logan's standards, is clearly impossible. Succession evokes the Godfather, but without a Michael Corleone. Roman's a knucklehead, Shiv's a fake, Kenny's screwy. Kendall is set up to be the closest to a Michael stand-in, but he lacks the young Don's power, brains, and control. Roman is framed like the hot-headed Sonny, with more vigor and pizzazz than strategy. But even though he proves he shouldn't be easily written off... I'm dumb, but I'm smart. He can't really get his dad to take him seriously. Rome, you know dad is never gonna choose you because he thinks there's something wrong with you. Siobhan, as the only daughter, corresponds to Connie, and both start off by setting up the man they marry to excel in the family business. In this era, Shiv is able to be a lot more of a player and sometimes looks like the frontrunner, yet she's still not given the same training as her brothers and has been viewed as a backup. You're a young woman with no experience. A woman, that, that's a minus. Well, of course it's a minus. I didn't make the world. And of course, there's Connor, the older brother who, like Fredo, is passed over and treated as a joke. I'm the eldest son, Whoa. and I must be considered, and I need to be taken into account. I'm your older brother, Mike, and I was stepped over! There's even a much mistreated conciliere who's sidelined because he's not blood. And whereas The Godfather opens on the day of Vito's daughter's wedding, Succession's first season closes on Logan fighting off a hostile takeover at his girl's nuptials. The comparisons are especially fitting because The Godfather and on-screen mafia stories in general are really about the American dream and American business. When Michael makes his family business appear increasingly legitimate in The Godfather Part Two, it's a commentary on how American corporations and politicians are the real gangsters. We're bigger than U.S. Steel. Succession follows from that to show us a dystopia further into the future, one where the legitimate business empire in view is a cultural cancer, where raising children in an ultra-elite bubble is inherently toxic. I, I think I owe it to my country to say I don't think you should crown or, or make Connor president. Where CEOs are creating new versions of masters and slaves. Because they realized if all the slaves dressed the same, they would see how many of them there were. We need a hell of a lot of little folks running around shitting us data. And where the Logans of the world will keep winning until there is nothing left but this game. Yeah, everything is boring, isn't it? Yeah, everything is pretty f***ing boring. Except this. We are so excited to announce that we now have a line of Weird Girl merchandise. You can now express it through t-shirts, posters, mugs, a backpack. There's power in owning the Weird Girl in all of us. Announce that you are the Weird Girl. Click the link in the description below and get your hands on this one-of-a-kind Weird Girl merch.